We're good? Okay. Welcome, everybody. Um, hi, everybody. It's me, Dr. Nick. Anyway, um, so what? Oh, turn my mic on. I'm a bad man. Hello? You there, everybody? Okay, good. I'm glad you can hear me now. All right, well, today we're going to continue our, we began a discussion of uh, sexual morality and um, the Corinthians and specifically the position uh, that Christians found themselves in Corinth. We know that um, Corinth was generally a sexually moral or sexually immoral place. It was an immoral place, that's right. And so um, the, the problem that Christians had was they found themselves in uh, the middle of a society in which sexual immorality was rather normal. Uh, and therefore, they, uh, it was going to be the case, one, that many of those who had become Christians had come out of sexual immorality, sometimes sexual perversion. And Paul mentions this, of course, in 1 Corinthians 6. But in 1 Corinthians 5, he discusses sexual immorality that is not normal. So even cultures uh, that, uh, where sexual perversion is being normed will sometimes have uh, still taboos uh, that they do not wish to see broken. Our society is becoming increasingly perverse. We now, you know, norm things that we didn't even talk about when I was in high school. And I realized that was another century, but, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago. It was, well, maybe it was, maybe it was 40 years ago or so, but uh, the, um, or a little under that. Uh, but the, the issue being, uh, there's been tremendous change uh, regarding sexual mores within our country, and yet there are still things that are still taboo within our environment. What would they include, for instance? Pedophilia. Pedophilia still is not mainstream. They're trying. There, is, there are a lot of people who are pushing very hard on that particular side, but most people are still, ah, no, we don't like that, uh, as, as a general rule. So we still have, uh, we still as a society are saying that that's bad. One of the problems that we have though as a society, and we'll, we'll kind of discuss that, is what is our objection to things like pedophilia at this point based upon? Graham? It just doesn't seem normal. Yeah, traditions, it's not normed. You know, that's it. It's, it's outside the norm. And it's still far enough outside the norm that we don't like it. And the only argument that can be made is that we view it as what? Abuse. abuse. Harmful, right? So if we can make an argument that it's not abuse, it's not child abuse, then the last remaining impediment to it will, will disappear. And I would argue that we're doing that very quickly through the transgender movement. Because at one time, the idea of neutering young men and sterilizing young women uh, prior to puberty um, would have been viewed as child abuse, would it not? You guys all grew up in the United States. Yeah, this would have been something shocking. Do we still view it that way? No, we view it as very good. So uh, it's a, uh, uh, it, we, are, we are coming to a point where we are redefining the entire topic of abuse. And so if taking children into, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, you know, um, uh, um, gay bars and gay nightclubs that specialize in sexualized dancing and things like that, and saying this is good, uh, whereas we would have once said this is illegal because it's abuse. If we're able to do that, it won't be very long before we, uh, we get into uh, the realm of full-blown pedophilia and say that uh, sex with children um, is a good thing. Uh, certainly, 
Interestingly enough, Bertrand Russell and a number of other, uh, Aldous Huxley and so on, saw uh, that that would probably be the way that uh, our society curved. And certainly there were a number of men like uh, Alfred Kinsey who were working very hard to make sure that was the case. But that's us today. All of that to say we are in the midst of um, social upheaval and turmoil because we have lost our footing. We have lost our foundation. We are now tossed to and fro uh, upon every wind and wave of cultural um, change. Believe it or not, the Corinthians had a little more stability uh, within their society when it came to certain forms of evil, and we're going to talk about that uh, coming up. But first, what should we do before we begin? We should pray. That's correct. Let's go ahead and pray. God, our Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us and that you would help us to understand our time and that we would view it through the lens of Scripture, that we would be applying your inerrant word to everything that uh, is about us and everything certainly that we do and we say. Help us to be people who do have a foundation, who stand firm upon your word. We know, O Lord, that, uh, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but that your word will stand forever. And literally, it will go on into eternity. Uh, these are truths that have always been and will always be. And so therefore, we know that when we, we take our stand upon scripture, we are on the most solid foundation. Help us not to slide into compromise and pragmatism and uh, find ourselves taking our bearings uh, by flotsam and jetsam, uh, the to and fro of, of society and mores that change radically over time. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to remain firm and to remember the gospel, to remember that uh, even for those who sin uh, and even sin egregiously, that there's still forgiveness, that there's still uh, repentance, that there is still new life and a new creation, Lord, that we can be changed radically from who we once were and made again after the glorious image of your son, Jesus Christ, who is that uh, model to which we are being conformed. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, let's, let's hit it. Okay. Um, the, the Romans, obviously, uh, they had a very highly structured family life, and it was very important to them. This is actually a frieze. It's much larger. I'll show you. Uh, I've got some pictures of the larger frieze. Um, uh, showing the family of Augustus, uh, the various members of his family, uh, many of whom ended up uh, dying under curious uh, circumstances. Um, Robert Graves, in his wonderful I, Claudius uh, series, uh, spins out the idea that Livia was a success, uh, that is the second wife of Augustus, was a successful poisoner, and that she cleared the way uh, for Tiberius, her son, uh, not Augustus' son, to, um, uh, to ascend to the uh, emperorship by killing all of the uh, rival claimants. This is uh, not something entirely ungrounded. A number of the uh, Roman historians, uh, Suetonius, essentially alleged the same kind of thing. So moving to uh, the next. All right, let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 5. So get your Bibles open. And we will go ahead and read. I put, I've got it up there just so we've got the, uh, if you don't have a copy of the NKJV uh, on you, you'll be able to read directly from the screen. Um, but let's go ahead and try to read five verses, or actually let's go, with, um, let's go with two verses each and give more people an opportunity to read. And I'm going to start over there in the back. Graham. 
Are you not ready? Okay, Ashley, you're up. Graham, you ready? Speak loudly. Jamie? Well, what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? If those who are outside do not judge us. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. All right, so Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 5 is responding to a report. He doesn't say who the report came from, but he indicates that uh, it's somebody within the church. Um, throughout the letter, he indicates he's been receiving letters updates on what's going on with the congregations and this is something that he encouraged the Christians in various places to do to to write to him and let him know how things were going what he could pray about he says he prays constantly for the congregations that he planted and in this he's offering obviously not just his advice but he's telling them what to do and he's saying act in this way in a church court manner okay he's saying act in essence as a session to remove these people right to remove this person, certainly. Now, it's interesting that they only pick on him, which would seem to indicate what? He focuses on the man, which would seem to indicate? The woman is outside, woman is outside the congregation. She's not a Christian. It's not made explicit, but uh, we can read between the lines and get that. But let's, let's talk then about the cultural setting, and in particular, one line uh, that Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. And by Gentiles, he means... Yeah, the, the, uh, uh, the Hellenists uh, and the, uh, the Romans, in essence, outside the church. Sexual immorality is not, uh, as is not even named among the Gentiles. That's part of the uh, larger frieze of the uh, Roman family of Augustus. The Greeks had no single word to describe incest. Instead, it was subsumed under the phrase gamos anosios, or unholy union. Let's go to the next. 
the Romans did, however, they did have their own word. And our word incest comes directly from it, incestum. Incestum comes from the word castum, or pure, and it literally means not pure. So as uh, when you add the in to it, it means not pure. So, yeah. So, again, it's very close to the Greek root uh, for unholy, but not pure. So going to the next. Uh, while the Roman, while the Roman Corinth, shouldn't be a definite article, sorry. While Roman Corinth was famous for its sexual promiscuity, including both heterosexual and, uh, and homosexual ritual prostitution, it fell far short of biblical standards for, of sexual immoral, uh, morality. There were many things apart from what we traditionally call incest that fell under the not pure standard of incestum and would have shocked and offended Romans. I'll give you two examples of them, actually three examples. So let's go to the, the next. Uh, for example, if a Vestal Virgin lost her sacred virginity, she would be accused of incestum and punished severely if found guilty. Now the reason for this was the Vestals were considered to be uh, representatives of the Roman people to the gods, and therefore they were to maintain their purity uh, before the gods, ministering on behalf of the Roman people. We've already talked about the fact that women were heavily involved uh, in the religion of the time, and so for a Vestal to remove, uh, to lose her virginity was, uh, was a huge blow, not just within the religious community, but a blow to the state as well, because they had many official functions. As I said, they represented Roman culture before the gods. Moving to the next. Uh, this is a picture, uh, or rather, it's just a statue, sorry, of the second century AD, uh, from the second century AD. Uh, it's a statue of a Virgo Vestalis Maxima. What do you think that means? Vestalis Maxima, yes. Yes, she's the, the, uh, the high, uh, the high uh, virgin, the, uh, the greatest, uh, and the, the head of all the other Vestal virgins. Now, it's interesting uh, that um, according to the statues, most of the um, Vestal virgins were paraplegics. So um, they don't know. <laughs> Just, are you guys awake? It's, it, she doesn't have arms, so you know their their arms have uh, come off through age. Ha 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 ha. Moving on. Anyway. <laughs> so this is how bad it was. Okay, from their point of view, the punishment for violating the oath of celibacy was immurement to be buried alive. They would be buried. This is a Roman tomb here. They would be buried in the Campus Scelaratus, or the evil field, in an underground chamber near the Colline Gate supplied with a few days of food and water. Ancient tradition required that an unchaste vestal be buried alive within the city, that being the only way to kill her without spilling her blood, which was forbidden. Next. When condemned to the College of Pontifices, what would pontifices be? Priests, right. Uh, she was stripped of her vitae, uh, that was uh, her outer garments that showed her, her honor. Uh, and other badges of office, was scourged, was attired like a corpse, placed in a close litter and borne, uh, that should be closed, sorry, closed litter, and borne through the forum, attended by her weeping kindred with all the ceremonies of a real funeral to a rising ground called the Campus Scelaratus, just within the city walls, close to the Colling Gate. We got that going on. There, a small vault underground had been previously prepared containing a couch, a lamp, and a table with a little food. The Pontifex Maximus, that was the <coughs> high priest of Jupiter, having lifted up his hands to heaven 
and uttered a secret prayer, opened the litter, led forth the culprit, and placing her on the steps of the ladder, which gave access to the subterranean cell, delivered her over to the common executioner and his assistants, who conducted her down, drew up the ladder, and having filled the pit with earth until the surface was level with the surrounding ground, left her to perish, deprived of all the tributes of respect usually paid to the spirits of the departed. Uh, so go back if you would. So that's one example of how seriously um, a, an act of incestum uh, was taken within uh, Roman culture. To be buried alive uh, is a fairly horrible uh, way of, of dealing with somebody who'd done something like that, and yet they were willing to do it. Um, another example of incestum, moving to the next. Uh, famously, a first century BC statesman, Clodius Pulcher, was charged with incestum when he sneaked into an all-female religious ceremony disguised as a woman uh, and was brought up on charges before the Senate as a result of his, uh, of his evil action. So, uh, going to the next. It's important to remember that while incest was common among the Greek and Roman gods, this is something, uh, give me some incestuous relationships between Greek and Roman gods. Yes? Hera and Zeus. Hera and Zeus, brother and sister. Uh, exactly, that would be one of the main ones. Um, and these gods were not supposed to be the role models morally for their worshipers. They made it very clear that we were not supposed to emulate, that these were the gods, they did what they wanted. Uh, but we were not supposed to be emulating their actions. In fact, we had to, they had to maintain a higher standard of morality than the gods, which was uh, clearly not you know, the way of uh, Christianity moving to the next. This was deeply steeped in their culture. All Greeks and most Romans, for instance, would have been familiar with the story of Oedipus Rex by Sophocles. Somebody spell out the story of Oedipus Rex for me. Yes. Okay, Jamie. So Oedipus was born to a king and queen. Before he was born, there was a prophecy that he would kill his father and sleep with his mother. Mm -hmm. And so the father has a servant who could take the baby and get rid of it. Well, the servant doesn't have to kill it, so he gives it to the shepherd, and the shepherd raises the boy, uh, and the boy has no idea who, who his real father is. When he goes off, he goes back to the, the kingdom of his father, and he doesn't know who his father and mother are. He kills his father and ends up marrying his mother. Uh, and then it comes to light, everything. And I think, but he's blinded or something? Yeah, yeah so. Derek? So, yeah, um, a lot of that is true, and the reason why uh, a lot of that is brought up is because there's a curse that's still on the kingdom initially, mm -hmm. and so he goes and pretty much backtracking what's going on, and so the story actually has a lot of dramatic irony because of the fact that he's told a prophecy that you're going to kill your mother and father, and so he's seeking the farmer, the people who adopted him are his parents, and he runs away, mm -hmm. and Actually, bear four, four children, two daughters, two sons. And his so. wife winds up killing, wife slash mother kills, uh, kills herself. 
She does. She kills herself, and then he stabs himself, his eyes with her comb yeah. and blinds himself. But the main story, the thing that they're trying to put over, is not just fatalism. They're trying to um, uh, establish exactly how awful what is incest. incest. Okay, that this was a horrific, and that um, the offspring. One of the other points of the story is that all of their offspring end up uh, dying. The boys kill each other. Uh, and then uh, the, uh, the death of Electra for uh, burying her unburied brother uh, is that she is also buried alive. So once again, we have this, this idea that uh, the, not just incest is cursed. What else is cursed? The offspring of an incestuous relationship are cursed. They were trying, de- they were trying not desperately, they were trying to teach this through this morality story, Right? So, okay, moving to the next. Uh, This is not to say all forms of consanguinity were taboo. That's marriage beyond, uh, between close blood relatives. Um, For instance, the Romans legalized uncle-niece marriages after Emperor Claudius married his brother's daughter, Agrippina. That was more of a fait accompli. We've already done it. So we're going to go ahead and, uh, and then declare them to be married. Moving to the next. Uh, But with a few exceptions like the above, the general feeling was that incest was so wrong that the state didn't need to create laws against it. Romans, for instance, viewed the Egyptians as barbaric, backwards, and inferior, specifically because of the ruling Ptolemy's practice of brother-sister relations. Now, the Ptolemies were Hellenists. They were uh, Greek descendants of one of um, uh, Alexander's generals, Ptolemy. Uh, but they picked up on the Egyptian practice that had existed for many, many years for pharaohs to marry their sister, all right? Uh, and so this was one of the things that uh, the Romans, that caused the Romans to feel that the Egyptians were inferior to them. Moving on. Mark Antony's relationship to Cleopatra was condemned not only because it was adulterous, Mark Antony had been married uh, to a Roman woman, uh, but because it was widely reported that she had an incestuous relationship with, his, uh, with her brother, which she had used to make him her puppet. Uh, the poet Lucan uh, writes about it in, in depth. Um, and in order to uh, deify Julius Caesar, they have to cover up or um, make excuses for his relationship with Cleopatra prior to Mark Anthony's. Moving to the next. In Roman politics, accusations of incest were frequently used to destroy reputations and were among the uh, posthumous charges leveled against Nero and Caligula to prove that they were evil. Nero in the case of his mother, Caligula in the case of his uh, sister Drusilla. This is something else that the historians picked up on and then repeated throughout history. Um, So if you really wanted to tar and feather somebody, uh, the way of, of uh, destroying their reputation absolutely was accusations of incest, if they could be proved. Yes? So I can see now um, where the show Game of Thrones got a lot of its plot um, points from. Anyone seen that? Bullet, you have not. I was about to say, I, I am blessedly unaware of that yeah, particular plot no. point. No doubt. And it had dragons too. Yes, too. Anyway, moving on. 
Uh, it should be remembered that because of the prevalence of divorce in Roman society, many children were being raised by stepmothers and stepfathers, as was probably the case of the man mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5.1. But the taboo against incest in these relationships was just as strong. So uh, the Romans would have regarded sleeping with your stepmother as equally uh, bad as sleeping with your mother. All right. For them, it would have been no. Uh, there would have been no big difference because they were so um, absolutely one dead set against incest. And secondly, they were um, uh, they were very uh, even with all of their their you know perversion and, and um, uh, promiscuity and so on. They were still dead set on trying to preserve the family. Uh, and there were certain things that they just viewed as as ick. Um, so moving to the next. Uh, the prohibitions against incest were not just Roman, they were biblical as well. In Jewish circles, the wording wife of his father meant stepmother. Although the woman was not biologically related to the son, yet because of her marriage vows to her, his father, she plunged the son into sin by having sexual relations with him. Going to the next. Uh, God repeatedly told the Israelites, do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. You find that in Leviticus 18.8, 20.11, Deuteronomy 22, 30, and 27.20. If a son purposely had sexual relations with his stepmother, the community would have to put him to death by stoning under Old Testament law. So the Old Testament is equally strong on the, uh, on the subject of uh, incest. In fact, stronger uh, perhaps than Roman society. Moving to the next. So I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the kids. You guys get to have your discussion. But first, Charlie has a question. Yes, Elder King. Reuben's relationship with his father's concubine. It would have been considered an incestuous relationship. However, we need to remember that that happened before the giving of the Mosaic Law. So Deuteronomy and Leviticus were not yet laid down. Yet already in ancient Near Eastern society, that kind of relationship was considered to be completely forbidden. And of course, it was deeply offensive uh, to um, Jacob when he discovered that it had happened. So uh, we already discussed before, though, that he was probably trying to um, also prevent the elevation of um, Bilhah over um, Leah uh, at the, uh, after his death. So, All right, guys, let's, let's deal um, with some of the issues. First off, let's, let's talk about society then. What effect would this have had on their witness to the Corinthian community? What do I mean by witness to the Corinthian community? Anybody? Anybody? Joy? Mm-hmm. There were rumors about weird, idolatrous behavior that didn't make sense to them. So this mm-hmm. would have been yet another, but true, circumstance that, that uh, would, they would have rightly looked down on and, and said that this is, this is not to be done. Right. This would, and they would have said that this is something that obviously marks out these Christians that they practice that kind of thing. Interestingly enough, historically, what um, Christian practice that we think nothing of today seemed to um, reinforce their belief that uh, that the Christians practice incest. Jamie, we call our fellow believers brothers, brothers and sisters, right? So, um, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, uh, I can call my wife sister, and, but amongst the Romans, you would never call your wife sister. So uh, they misunderstood that. 
Um, where did the cannibalism thing come from? Does anybody remember? Yes, Joy? From the Lord's Supper. From the Lord's Supper. And their practice was uh, that, did they practice open communion? Who can tell me here? No, they, they practice closed communion. There's three different kinds of communion. There's open communion, close communion, and closed communion. Open communion is uh, anybody um, can come to the table uh, as long as they judge themselves to be uh, worthy, uh, worthily taking, uh, taking uh, the elements. So you, uh, you fence the table, but you invite everybody who uh, uh, professes to be a believer in uh, Christ to come to the table. Close communion is that only members either of your denomination uh, or your church or people who have been examined by the session and have um, a reference uh, from another church can come to the table. That was the Scottish practice. Closed communion appears to have been the apostolic practice, uh, or at least the early church practice. Closed communion would be um, that no one outside of that particular congregation can come to uh, the, the table. And so they would actually, they would have the, the majority of the service and then they would retreat to have the agapen. And so the Romans would send in spies, um, but these spies wouldn't want to go the whole, uh, the whole hog and become members of the, uh, uh, of the church itself. But they would sit in on the worship service and then all the Christians would suddenly get up at the end of the service for the agapen and they would leave and go into another room and he would say, what are they gonna do? Oh, they're going to eat the body and blood, of the, they're gonna partake of the body and blood of the Lord. And he's like, oh, they're gonna practice cannibalism in the other room, so. Um, Many Romans, you know, took that report and, uh, and spread it abroad. So it's interesting how those, those things come about. So the Corinthians, and keep in mind Christianity was, was brand new, and um, there wasn't much knowledge about what the Christians believed. There were a lot of mystery religions where they also didn't understand what they uh, practiced. It wasn't our grandma's religion. Everybody in, uh, in Corinth uh, would have been going to the temples of uh, Aphrodite uh, and uh, Zeus, and Jupiter uh, for years, or Zeus is Jupiter, or Jupiter, uh, Maximus for, for years, and then suddenly this new uh, religion pulls into town. They're not quite the Jews who they just know are really, um, they stay by themselves, they have their own little synagogues. And Ty, I see that hand. Yeah. And what we do, and so it's like, oh, Increasingly, you've got to remember also the world does not have any clue what Christians actually believe. Um, so uh, often there are simply. Um, there are simply rumors and things that are spread abroad. By, you know, our media is kind of like the Roman spies back then. Uh, so, for instance, if you ask the average worldling, why do evangelicals think they're going to heaven? What are they, what are they going to say? Because they think they're better, actually, than everybody else, based on their own self-righteousness uh, and stuff like that, and that uh, everybody else is going to go to, uh, to hell. Um, so that would be, you know, one of the common misunderstandings that's in the uh, in the society at this point in time. So if they um, if they want to have a good witness amongst the Corinthian community, then certainly they cannot be practicing this. Now, if it had been acceptable within the Bible, then should they have stopped it anyway? No, 
you know, if, uh, if something is taught within the word of God, then regardless of what the culture thinks about it, we, we need to be doing it. So I, I once had a, sorry, I've used this uh, before, but I had a hilarious conversation with a pastor once who, uh, who was uh, upset about um, uh, liturgical dancing at, that had happened at one of the general assemblies. And he said, do you believe that's in the scriptures? And I, I said, no, <laughs> no, I do not believe that's in the scripture. Uh, and uh, certainly not within, you know, and, and he said, you know, well, they've got the, they always bring up David. And I was like, yeah, dancing before the ark is this. I believe that Christians can dance and they can be happy and certainly, but we don't have any Levitical dancing uh, prescribed for worship within the Old Testament. And certainly there's nothing in the New Testament worship, which is our model, uh, which would lead us in that direction of dancing within our uh, worship services. Uh, and he, he said, you know, even if the Bible had said that we're supposed to dance, I wouldn't dance in a worship service. And I said to him, brother, we would have to. I said, I'm a terrible dancer, but nonetheless, you know, I'd be, I'd be shucking and jiving and trying to get better no matter what. Um, I said, we have to, you know, it, it's not our preferences. It's what God says that should determine uh, what we do within uh, worship. Uh, so one, two, and three. Uh, time. Oh, liturgical dancing is, you know, like interpretive dancing? Do, you know, interpretive dancing? Somebody puts on a leotard, sometimes they'll have flags, and they come swooping onto a stage, and you pray, you play Christian music, and they interpret the Christian music, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that, and where they're wearing, you know, their leotards and doing their, they're running about, and stuff like that, and we all go, <laughs> all the guys feel vaguely uncomfortable, and all the artsy types are like, oh, this is great best part of the church, although I do wish they were better. Um, they need some professional training here. And, you know, so that's basically what happens. Right, Joy? <laughs> anyway. All right. Yes, Bobby. You just answered it. Oh, okay. Uh, Got it. Uh, but I was going to pray it differently. All right. So, anyway, interpreted it. Yeah. the street sometimes Where? Like I know, no, no, what, what are we, where are you? Like a white man might act out a, a oh. story. Got it, got it, got street. it. But it's not in the service, so. Not as long as the guys aren't doing it, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Moving on. Uh, let's, let's go to the second, uh, the third question for discussion. So what does the fact that Paul uses inside and outside language regarding the church teach us? See in 1 Corinthians 5 he, he makes it very clear you're supposed to put this person outside. Uh, it's not just to have uh, nothing to do with them. He speaks of uh, outside the church which would include what? The world. The world. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the stand, your standard run-of-the-mill Corinthians and Corinthian society and so on. But yes, this, this speaks of communion. So the person who is put outside of the church no longer partakes of communion. Uh, and you don't call them brother or sister any longer. They're not part of the community. Um, what's the purpose of doing that? Yes. To, to let them know their lostness. Okay. He says, hand such a one over to who? Yes. Satan. So, for what purpose? Yeah, so they might be disciplined. Now, this person really is living according to, uh, to Satan's will. He's doing his desires in this. But by putting them out of the church and handing them over to them, they're making it explicit. They're saying, you have no part in this with us. All right? Your, your actions and your failure to repent indicate to us 
that this is the real state of your soul. Yes, Derek. Um, so just to help speed me up, um, what, uh, what did you guys read earlier uh, tonight? Because I came in a little late. First Corinthians 5. Cool, cool. First Corinthians 5. Uh, second of all, uh, big news. Um, uh, coffee is ready if you need some. So <sighs> Too late. <laughs> Already the tiredness has overwhelmed my brain. Um, all right. So, uh, somebody else had their hand up. I, I can't, it was probably, yes, go ahead. There's somebody else, John, take it. Take it. Take Ke- Kevin, what was, what was? Oh, I think maybe you're getting to this. The other reason was that we were to in the second, first six. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. A little leaven leavens the whole lot. Yep. Yeah. If all purge out the leaven, then you need a new lot, et cetera, et cetera. If the leaven is Right. If you if you don't discipline this relationship, in fact, if you glory in grace uh, while allowing this to take place, what are you going to get? You're going to get more sin, more sexual sin, certainly. Moving to the next. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the liturgical dance or the dancing on the streets, Christian dancing on the streets. Mm-hmm. So it's not a violation of the second commandment. Not unless you're going about pretending to be Jesus, yeah. Yeah. But on, oh, one, on the other hand, it's not really trusting in God's, his methods, right, his word. His word says the preaching of his word that he uses to convert souls. Mm-hmm. So I think there is something wrong with it, uh, even though it's not a violation of the second commandment. Violation of something. Uh, you're, not, uh, you're not using God's means that he's given us. Okay, Son and then uh, Kim. I would especially in these verses because I think there are times where people worship God personally with, you know, God and that person differently. And, you know, just like David danced to the Lord and there's so many people that grab the, the tambourine and started dancing and singing to the Lord because they, were, because they wanted to take him for something. And I think if their heart is true, Kevin and then Derek and then Joy. I'd like to a question. Do you believe that men will be saved apart from the preaching of the word and the word read or the word itself? Is that, that it, if so, there's a basis for there. Your intent is to preach the gospel, but you're not preaching, I would agree. Well, generally speaking, I mean, uh, chapter 14 of the Westminster Confession, I think, puts it uh, rightly, and Romans 10 backs it up, um, that it's the word that saves. Um, And that word can be read, that word can be uh, preached, but nonetheless, it's it's the word that saves. I mean, um, to Jamie's point, I don't believe that, uh, you know, it's the way she, she twirled that flag taught me that I was a sinner and I needed to be, you know, saved by. Now, it might grab the attention of the person, but if there's no, if there's no redemptive content uh, in it, um, specific teaching, then there's, uh, you know, somebody's going through the gospel story while the person is doing, you know, 
uh, and then it was darkness for an hour, you know, um, and, and stuff like that. That's all right. That's you know, you could do that um, and use the uh, the dancing as a means of grabbing their attention. Uh, but the dancing by itself is not going to save anybody. Yes, I agree. And then all right. So Derek, my wife, and then uh, like, yes. All right. So. Regarding this question right here that's on mm-hmm. the screen, but uh, one thing that I'm going to think about is... Oh, my word. <gasps> Why, thank you. She's not too late. Not too late, Alba. Thank you. Oh, wait. We're in Never mind. Coffee, while not redemptive by itself, may be used as an aid. Uh, anyway. So, um, this, this whole thing about inside outside. Well, Paul has mentioned at various times, I think he does mention, is there any first Corinthians where he talks about, no, it's in Ephesians, right? Where he talks about the body of Christ. Well, he talks about it a couple of times. Like, we're, we're in Christ, and he's in us. Jesus said that himself. When it comes to the church, you know, we're a body, you know, mm-hmm. part of Christ. So when you send someone out, it's because they're not acting of the spirit. They're not being of the spirit. They're not being of Christ. Right. To establish that they're of, you know, the devil. They're of, you know. And on, on Sunday, I made the uh, uh, the point that um, the the word to uh, um, restore somebody is the same word for putting a uh, a limb that's dislocated back in its right uh, uh, right place, which once again connects to the body image for the church. When somebody is um, in in sin, it's like a dislocated arm or leg that needs to be uh, reset. So no, yeah, that's that, a good point. It's also if you think about it, the whole body image, mm-hmm. um, when a part of your body hurt, you feel that, and it's like it's kind of weird sensation, but like the nerves like go through practically everywhere. So it's not like oh, it's just this. You know, say if I hurt my pinky, it's not just the pinky that's just. Earth, it's like that signal goes out everywhere. So we, in a way, is if you want to, in a spiritual manner, we can feel it when somebody you know does something that hurts the body. Um, and I mean, so and I think a lot of us can say recently we've experienced that when one of our own was um, when when they had the excommunicated. It was hurtful. Mm-hmm. We all felt that in some way. Um, so that's just yep. my thought on that. Um, I was going to say earlier about a little dance thing, but that's okay. I'm going to dance later. Okay, so Joy, Nick, oh, Elder King. Yeah. Joy. Okay. Um, from the story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got a loop there. I'll circle uh, that. And that's what makes this 
so insidious in that it's it's something that doesn't please the Lord, right. and therefore, if you're calling attention to it, it, it calls attention to the church in that sense, right? So it's bad, but um, I think that if you can if, if you can be someone who's who excels in in anything in the, like this or that or whatever it is, it's it's the it's how you respond to the attention and, and how you respond to the questions that are provoked from what kind of a, 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 a um, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? The spectacle, mm -hmm. right? What kind of spectacle you are. Well, you, you're, you're, you're a spectacle unto God. You, you call attention to yourself in that sense. So yeah. let yourself be a spectacle unto God. Going, going along with what you said, um, uh, I remember the place I worked in Washington, DNA. You remember that? Uh, I um, uh, worked with a coworker, and they, the one who was most often talking about Jesus and telling people they needed to get right uh, was also well known as somebody who slept during the job, who stole from the company, and who had multiple children out of wedlock. And they're like, <laughs> "Who are you telling me <laughs> to be? Uh, you know that I'm I'm out of out of uh, keeping?" So their their the way they lived was actually a scandal amongst the Gentiles, and it, it destroyed their, um, their uh, yeah, Nick, here next up. Uh, my thing was going to be on the dancing part of it. Mm -hmm. Actually, in a weird way, Joy kind of touched on it, was, so I've seen, <laughs> so um, I've seen, like, we'll call them dance recitals, right, where it's just, it's not liturgical, or nor is it even, um, not improvised. What is the word that she uses? Interpretive or anything of that nature towards scripture, but more so they'll do like a, a dance on the street or a dance at an event or a venue of some sort. And then they'll be like, uh, after the show, come by our table and take a look at our table, come check us out, XYZ, whatever. Then you get to the table. And yes, they're giving you some basic information about their group or whatever, but that is where the word will be preached. I've seen mm -hmm. things of that nature. And what I was going to say to Joy's point, or how Joy kind of touched on what I was thinking, was be a dancer to the glory of God. Yeah. So, well, yeah, if you're a dancer and you're a good dancer, I see we, we did. We used to, on the streets of Fed, they'll do bait and switch all the time. We'd, uh, yeah. hey, come get a balloon and some gospel material. Sometimes. Anyway, uh, the uh, uh, Elder Kings, next up. Uh, unfortunately, you're kind of, I mean, with me, you're arguing with, the, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I'm, I'm not a believer in integralism or Constantinianism. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm not arguing with you. Know. So. Isn't this an argument? Wouldn't this, this yeah. passage? Obviously, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, uh, he, constantly the apostles draw the, uh, the line between the world and the church. Uh, not in the, in the, um, the savage 2K way where you set up two kingdoms that don't have any sort of overlap whatsoever. 
um, and uh, where you know a Christian, uh, what it means to be a good Christian citizen is utterly different from what it means to be a good Christian. Uh, so that I can vote for the most horrendous, you know, horrendously evil uh, things, and, and it doesn't affect my, my Christianity because it's a different kingdom entirely. And, uh, uh, Joy. I mean, but that is generally a problem in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. The yes, they uh, in order to be um, uh, a voting member of the colony, you have to also be a commuting member of the church, and so on. They put the two together. Yeah. So there is always the uh, there is always a tendency, uh, you know, where we we think that uh, uh, theocratic uh, life, or the Amish answer, would be uh, would be best. And there are times where. The idea of a reformed Amish community um, actually appeals to me greatly. You know, I just want to get out of here. You know? yeah, so I'm playing. That's all. Bingo. That's that's the other thing, and because the society hasn't yet turned its uh, wrath upon them, uh, we would not be able to get it. We would suddenly, you know, we would be the cultists who ATF would be surrounding in uh, in five seconds flat. So. Um, I know that's a, it's a pipe dream, uh, but, and it's not even what we're called to. One of the things that we need to remember is that one of the least effective evangelistically communities in the entire United States is the Amish. They're Bible believers, but they have no contact with the world, and as a result, they are very, very poor at evangelizing. They do have cool hats and pretty good beards, too. Um, that is not to say that they don't try. Uh, generally speaking, you know, a lot of the guys who, when they're selling their milk or selling wood and furniture and things like that, will we'll also give them uh, tracts and things like that. But um, it's not, not an effective outreach because they limit the contact between them and the outside world as much as they possibly can. So, uh, yes, no, it is an argument um, against integralism. Why should they remove this man from their midst? You guys all know the answer to this one. Yes. Yeah, a little leaven leavens the lump. If you don't remove it, uh, him, it's going to spread. That's one of the things. So if you don't remove the cancer, it is going to kill you. You know, it's going to spread and, and do stuff like that. So you, uh, as painful as uh, the process of surgery may be, which, you know, our brother Derek pointed out, it has to be done uh, in order for there to be help. Not only that, um, there's also the issue of... Uh, what it says to the world. If somebody is doing this kind of thing and we're all, yay, within the church, grace, grace, what does the world assume? That we're okay with that sin, right? But if we put the person out, it's a clear message to the world, no, we have standards, you know, that, uh, and these are set by Christ. And therefore, we don't, you know, allow that kind of sin within our fellowship. Um, so there's two reasons, the witness to the world uh, the purity of the church right there, but also there's a third reason that we sometimes forget. Yes, Joy? Okay, yes, we need to preserve the sauna. I assume you're not hitting your... The purity of the church, the witness to the world, and the Yeah, we're doing that. that's the witness of the world uh, function. The honor of Christ. The honor of Christ. We're missing a big one, though. Didn't you say before the arrest of the The reclaiming of the offender. Okay, if we allow him to continue on doing what he's he's doing, it's rather like a kid who who continues to um, uh, to do the naughty thing, and we never tell him he's wrong. We're never going to turn him from his course. 
All right, so when the, uh, the person refuses to repent of that particular sin, you put them out in the hopes that um, being handed over to the devil, they will see their situation, their heart will be convicted, and they will do what? Repent. Repent, and then ask to be returned and restored to membership within the church. We've actually done this as a church uh, in the past and seen it actually work. Uh, we've seen the process of church discipline work. We've seen people who have remained stubbornly um, within their sins, particularly if their sins that the world says is okay. Uh, and, you know, let's face it, I, I could, you know, commit grievous, horrendous sins here in this church and then be admitted to membership just up the road well, without any questions being asked uh, at another church. So, um, and that's one of the, the shortcomings, unfortunately, of the, um, uh, the breaking up uh, of, the, of the churches and also, of course, of liberalism that's seeped in. Um, all right. I think that is the last question. I think that's the last question. No, there's one more. There's actually two more, but then you have this one. Do I? No, 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 that's not part of it. So what are we learning from this? Sin is bad. Okay, sin's bad. We learned Good. Why, what? Dobby? And then we Ty? Why, um, church discipline might be a very good thing. Mm-hmm. And the reasons for church discipline that the church I went to don't believe in that. Um, don't believe in a lot of the church discipline type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're like more moderate Baptist. Right. And they believe what the state always say. And, and just about, I can walk into another church and make a or transfer a letter and they not know what I'm doing. Right. What I did in, let's say, yes, so Yes, time. Um, also, to, to be on the letter of gross in your church and catch them before they spread, as well as the importance of maintaining the integrity of church, which can better witness to clarify. That's one of the, um, uh, the very important things. One of the things that Paul says in Galatians 6 is bear one another's burdens. I was very struck by that um, in. Uh, a recent case, uh, I won't give his name, but it was a minister, and uh, he was recently removed from um, his office, a Reformed Baptist minister, uh, and somebody who was a big name within the uh, internet community, especially amongst the discernment crowd, the, uh, the people who spend all of their time finding stuff that's wrong and then exposing it. Um, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to say something that's theologically aberrant is wrong, but if that's your entire ministry, man, that's, uh, you're a little unbalanced. Uh, yes, Derek? You go ahead. Okay. So anyway, he was, he was removed from uh, the ministry. What had happened was he was um, uh, stopped for DUI, driving under the influence. The cop was absolutely certain that he was under the influence. And immediately the Christian community rose up and they said, no, he's being persecuted. He has a vitamin de- a deficiency. And it wasn't this. Uh, it was something. It was, there's a vitamin deficiency in and how dare they, et cetera. And then later on, um, toxicology reports come back. He's got, you know, massively elevated levels of Xanax in his blood. Um, and it turns out that he was abusing Xanax. Um, the church is like, you're on Xanax? You can do that. You know, the, say what? You can abuse Xanax? Oh, I was like, what? Toxicology? Oh, yeah. What? If it's in your bloodstream, they can find it, trust yeah. me. Um, so in any event, uh, 
So the church is, you know, first off, amazed that their pastor's using Xanax. Two, that he was depressed and stressed out and didn't, you know, because he hadn't, he hadn't shared either with anybody. What was he doing? He was, he was operating below the radar. So therefore, you know, we, nobody could keep tabs on one another. They couldn't, they couldn't know. Now, a lot of churches actually are structured so nobody knows what's going on in your life. Um, generally speaking, you can tell if the lights are up here and down there it's dim during the, um, uh, the service, nobody wants to know what's going on in your life. Okay? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's a general rule that you can follow in most, uh, most places. Um, but if we aren't transparent and if we don't know one another, we can't bear one another's uh, burdens and the entire process of church discipline breaks down. What you have are, are just horrific eruptions. Suddenly you ask, where's family X? Oh, he ran off with his secretary and she's too embarrassed to come back to church. You know, that, and you're like, how did this happen? You know? um, and there's nothing that, that can be done about it. Um, so we, we, need to, we need to be transparent. We need to know each other. We need to not be obviously nosy or rude, but we need to uh, uh, be able to ask those questions, to look each other in the eye and ask, how are you really doing? You know, not just get fine, fine, and fine. Everybody's fine until they, like I said, until they aren't fine all of a sudden. Um, anyway, who was next? There was somebody else. Derek, you wanted to say something, and then Nick yeah, has his hand, so, and oh, then we're going to pray. Got it. Cool. Thank you, man. Um, so, one of the things that came to mind is I feel like some people would try to argue this point. Um, what, they'll try to argue why, I guess, against church discipline. Uh -huh. And some of the things to, I, I think about it is, for instance, it's been a thing, technically, even though it wasn't called a church, it's been a thing since Moses, where you know, the laws were established and God was saved over and over. And, particularly in Deuteronomy, when it came to, if you read chapter 18 and uh, 22 as well, when he talks about the sexual and moral sins, and, you know, he's, he says that, you know, get these people out, you know, it's pretty much... Outside the camp. Yeah, outside the camp or death. So, you know, and... Actually, it was, it, they went together. You, If you were going to stone them to death, you didn't do it in the camp. <laughs> yeah, you got to do that. He took them outside also, the camp. Yeah. Um, so, one of the Thank God that he sent Jesus down so that way you don't have to do that anymore. Because um, you could totally deal with that. But also, Jesus did say as well, uh, now, it might be going out of context a little bit, but he says, I'm here to divide. I'm here to divide the believers from the non-believers mm -hmm. and such. And, you know, he says over and over at times, you know, if you're practicing lawlessness, he doesn't know you. And Grammar tells us don't associate with people who are dealing with, you know, stealing sin, who are, you know, practicing that. Right. It's one thing to be it's one thing to be struggling and you're repenting and you're going through sanctification of that. But it's another to just be like, I'm gonna indulge in this all the time, it's cool. Like, what you gonna say about it? And it's like, okay, well, uh, you set a bad example, so you got to go. Um, yep. No, you, you're, you're right. It's, a, uh, uh, it, it's something that will uh, inevitably have an effect. It goes from, from person to person. I hate to cut you off, but we have got to pray. We're, uh, yeah, we're we already pray. 
five, um, ten minutes. I know they do the off thing, and I gotta press the. Yes, you do need to turn that off. We need to say goodbye to everybody who's. Okay, to the, um, Son, you direct me. I press the off on Thank you, Son. Picture. Thank <laughs> you.